Man, what a good, good place just to engage with God right now. And wherever you are and whatever's going on and however you walk in this weekend, man, God knows and God wants to meet you right where you are. Now for some, I guess I would say it this way, um, it's okay to walk in here and not be okay. It's a safe place. But God loves you enough not to leave you there. And for those who walk in, an instant engagement can happen in your heart and you can feel his presence and you find life and vitality and healing in that. Dive in. Experience. The word tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Find out for yourself. And if you're somewhere in between those two, two opposites and you find yourself just like, I mean, that's good. I like that. May God draw you deeper into himself. He has so many good things for you this weekend as you experience him and experience his life. God, we do. We sing hallelujah and thank you. It's a month to be thankful. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen. Yeah, go ahead and you can be seated. You probably don't think about this. But imagine trying to transition out of that right there, having the right words to say to, uh, to, to figure out how do, you, how do you move forward, or do you want to just stay in that place right there and allow God to do what he wants, and um, man, what a, what a good problem to have, right? What a good problem to have. Glad that you were here. Uh, I've only got one quick announcement, and then uh, you might as well go ahead and grab your notes real quick. There's some fill in the blanks, so you need a pen or a pencil, or if you're using the online version of the U-Notes, that's great too. Uh, my only announcement is this, this coming Tuesday, who remembers what's up? How could you forget if you're watching TV right now, right? It's time to vote, and I just want to encourage you, get out there and vote, man. It is a privilege in a society to be able to vote for our leaders, yes or no? And if you don't think that, then, um, man, you're not thinking right, because we live in a place that allows us to choose um, what, what we have in leadership, and that is an awesome privilege that God has given us, and I want to encourage you, uh, don't ever get so jaded that you go, it doesn't matter, or uh, that I don't need to care. You should always care and always be involved uh, in the process. Okay, uh, let's jump in, and let me make this statement, um, kind of follow me on this. The further from an event that we go, say it one more time, the further from an event that, that time marches on, the further past an event the more on purpose we have to be about that event or it loses its meaning. You understand that idea right there? So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, this, this, this month, I said it when I was praying, uh, Thanksgiving is just a few weeks away. Okay, And Thanksgiving, for so many people, uh, we know that um, uh, you know, 200 years ago, a uh, little, little plus uh, than that, uh, Thanksgiving is instituted uh, in our country. Uh, why it's instituted, how it was instituted, actually it's longer than that, but as far as a holiday, um, it, 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 how it was instituted, why the pilgrims were thankful, what had happened uh, that made them um, recognize this is, a, this is a time to be thankful. And yet, as we get further from it, tell me that it hasn't become about football. <laughs> yes or no? I mean, and that it hasn't become uh, sort of a, for some people, a holiday to avoid because so many families get together and there's so many problems there. It'll follow right on the hill. Christmas will be here. And for so many people, Christmas uh, literally isn't about the birth of Jesus as much as it's about presents and all the hype that goes with it in many ways. And if you aren't careful to be on purpose, to keep the meaning of it there, the further we are from when the event happened, 
the easier it is for it to turn into nothing more uh, than, than a, a, a moment, an inconvenience, a, an excuse to do something else. Uh, one for us in December 17th will be our 35th wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's, hey, we are excited about it. Well, here's what we have learned. Early on, early on, the first few years, the excitement and being so close to the event, we didn't have to spend any money. We didn't have any money. So we didn't have to do anything. We, well, here's what we did for the first several years of our anniversary. We would order out pizza and watch a video. That's how far back it was 35 years. There was no DVD to watch. We were still renting. Um, there was actually a place that you could rent. <laughs> And it was very popular. And we did that for the first few years, and it was enough. But then as time went by, what we learned, if we aren't intentional to make a big deal out of it, the day comes and goes, and all we do is mark one more notch on the calendar. And pretty soon, they start going by so fast that you, you don't rec, and it loses its spell. You'll recognize it with a kiss or a card, but it loses its meaning. And what we've had to do the last several years to make it really exciting is that we'll spend a little money, we'll go someplace, and we make it a special day. A, a, it's a sacred day. I'm thankful for my wife. God gave her to me. It's the greatest gift I've been given in this life beyond Jesus. And so we celebrate that. It's a big deal. But what we have learned, uh, and any, I think any marriage that has any, uh, any length with it could say that it's true, that if, you, if past that special day, if you're not intentional to keep it special, to make it extra special, to keep the meaning in it, it becomes a day like any other day. And we can fall into the habit of losing the importance of the event. We mark it with things that it's not meant to be rather than the specialness that it it is meant to be. And coming into the holidays and this time, you can, you can see, you can draw your own conclusions about it. It's, it's important that if you get further away from the event that you've got to be intentional about celebrating the event. All right, so let me take that thought and that idea and put it into something here that, uh, that, that I want to try to teach you uh, this weekend. So every life-giving church, and by life-giving, I mean a church that teaches Jesus. Okay? So not just any church, although it's probably true, but every life-giving church... Uh, has two uh, uh, ordinances. That's the fancy church word, but it really is prescribed practices that a life-giving church has to do. The first one is communion. We practiced that last week. We do it here uh, once a month as an entire body. So uh, we do that because Jesus told us, hey, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me, and I'll talk about it in the second one. The, uh, the second one is baptism. We're supposed to do baptism, and that's the one I'm going to talk about this weekend. But the reason I want to focus on the idea that past the event, if you don't pay attention to it and make it special, you, fall, you can take communion and lose the specialness of it. And baptism is something that you did so long ago that for many in this room, you don't even remember it because it happened as an infant. Or it happened at some point early on in your uh, relationship with Christ. And past that date, it can lose its significance and its meaning. So that even when someone else does it, we can look at it and think, eh. And anything with God should never be, eh. Let me try it over here. Anything with God should never be, they just went, eh. But so I'm giving you a chance. Anything with God should never be, ah, it should be, it should be big to us. It should be important to us. And here's the deal. We think it's up to God to make it that way. I think God puts the responsibility on us to make it special, to hollow it, to, to make it worthwhile. 
So let me just real quick, uh, that first one right there, if you are taking notes and you want that first one, one is just simply communion. All life-giving churches have two prescribed practices, two ordinances is a fancy word. The first one's communion. Luke twenty-two nineteen. Jesus said this. Um, there he is. He said this. He, uh, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces, gave it to his disciples and this was the saying, this is my body which is given for you and then this sentence, do this to what? Do it to remember. So Jesus is even pointing out the same thing I'm pointing out to you right now. That when you do this, don't do it haphazardly. Never take it. Eh. Do it in remembrance of me. However, we read it in English, and he had a completely different meaning. He's being raised as a practicing Jew in, uh, in Israel uh, at a time when the understanding of this would have been far different than how we would view it in America. We think what he's saying is, when you take communion, think about me. But he's actually using a Jewish, it's an idiom, it's a practice, it's an understanding. uh, And I've taught this before of a Jewish bridegroom speaking to the bride. He's the bridegroom, the church is the bride. Jesus is actually, he's using a word picture to people who would have fully understood uh, what he's saying. We we read it different because we don't live in that culture. But here here it is real real quickly. Um, So whenever a a young uh, groom wanted to get engaged in that day and time, uh, it was not the traditional way that we do it in America where you would go and, hey, is it okay, and then plan out a a surprise time to pop the question and give give the ring. It it, it was nothing like that. Uh, Most marriages would have been arranged. Most of it would have been done through parents ahead of time. Uh, It wasn't that you didn't have a choice. In fact, we have some people in our church who come from another country. And I don't know if I'm free to say this, so I'll disguise it just a little bit. They come from another country. We actually have a fairly large contingency of these people in our church that have picked Jubilee as their home, but they come from another country. And some of the marriages were prearranged for them. And I asked the question, like, how, how, how do you do that? They said, you'd be surprised. Love, love is a choice. We think it's an emotion. But the same people who come and go, I'm so in love, two years later, I can go, I don't feel any love. It's, it's, more than, it's an emotion, but it's more than an emotion. It's a choice that you make. And so the whole idea of, of um, what Jesus is teaching is, is he's using a picture that a bridegroom and a bride would have gotten. So the bridegroom would, would after his mom and dad were involved in the situation, he would go to the bride's house he would have um, a little, um, like a little a fanny pack, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Forgive me. I, there's just not a better word. It's a great, he would have had like a little fanny pack. And inside of that would have been a list of all the promises that if you say yes to me, here's all the things that I will do for you. I, I will protect you. I will, I will provide for you. Uh, we will have children. Uh, there will be an inheritance for those children. Uh, I will be faithful. It it is called, uh, for them, it's a covenant. So that when we begin to talk about covenants, this is where it comes from. The bridegroom provides promises or a covenant to the bride if she chooses him. And that's why Jesus said, hey, this covenant, uh, this cup is the new covenant, the new promises. If you pick me, here's the things that I'll do for you. It's all word picture that we don't get in our culture. And so he would go to uh, the bridegroom's family. Uh, on, on the table would be a single cup of wine. The parents of the bride are here. She's sitting at the table. The bridegroom would walk in. He would present his little fanny pack thing with the promises in it. 
uh, the father would read it over. And if the father agreed, he'd show the bride. And if the bride agreed, no words are spoken. But here's how the deal is sealed. She picks up the drink and drinks the wine and then puts it back down. He ratifies it or accepts it by picking up the same cup and drinking from it. Without saying anything, they are now engaged. So what takes place? He goes back immediately to prepare a room or a place for the bride. This is why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. If it were not so, I would tell you. He teaches this too, that on that day and hour of his return, nobody knows when it's going to be except the father because the father, the groom's father, was the only one who could release the groom to go get the bride. What he's making sure is that the guy is putting up a suitable house for her to live in. Because like any groom, he wants to consummate the marriage. Dude, a tent will work. (laughs) But not for her. She needs a promise. So he goes to prepare the place, and he doesn't know how long it's going to take because it's only the father who can release him to go get the bridegroom, so that in Revelation where it says the spirit and the bride say, come on. What we're doing when we drink the communion cup, here's what she's supposed to do. While he's away preparing the place, she's to remind herself who she's betrothed to. And in order to do that, because this could take some time to build it, she will from time to time take that cup and drink from it to remind herself, I belong to him, he promised me, and he who promised is faithful. He'll come to get me so that when we take communion, this is what it means when he says, remember me. That's what she's supposed to be doing intermittently. Drink from the cup so that she remembers the promise and remembers that the bridegroom is coming. There should be great meaning to it. But how many times do we take it in our day and we just think to ourselves, like last week, we used the little self-contained, I hate that wafer. (laughs) This is the most stale juice I've ever had. Yes, no, I, now, and where am I going to put this now? And everything but the meaning behind that we're waiting for him. The spirit and the bride are supposed to be, anti- come, come on. That's what's, it's supposed to make us excited. And yet how many times can we take it? And because we don't make it special or understand it, we, we, the ordinance of it loses the meaning. The further from the event, the harder it is to keep the excitement. Is that a better way to say it? the harder it is to keep the intensity or the fire. And if you're not intentional about that, like any good marriage, through distance, if you're not intentional, you can lose the fire. You can have the commitment, but you lose the fire. Jesus says, Revelation again, here's the one thing that I don't want. Don't become lukewarm. Man, I wish that you were cold or hot, but don't you dare become lukewarm about me. That's the thing that I'll hold against you. Okay? You get me? So here's, here's like, communion, man, is... we. We've got to hold that. What are we missing in communion? Because we're not holding the passion. What could God do for us during communion? Maybe that's a better way to say it. All right, so I've spent time talking about that, but never on the idea of baptism. So look at me real quick. Baptism would have been a completely Jewish custom. We think it's something that happened with Jesus and John the Baptist. But John is doing something that has been going on for a millennia, at least. Jesus is 
practicing a custom that has great meaning. But we live in America in 2018, and the meaning of it for us is simply like, uh, you know, that's, that's, for some people, they believe that's what you have to do to get into heaven, which is why they'll baptize babies, because if anything happens, we need to make sure they get into heaven, which is not correct thinking, okay? So I'm not... I'm not knocking that anybody did. I, as an infant, I was baptized. It's the most, how do I say this? Uh, the most thing to know about that is I have no recollection of it. Which misses the point. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> all right, so baptism comes from a completely Jewish identity. So two is baptism, Matthew 28, 19. And we said that there are, for any life-giving church, there are two commands or ordinances or prescribed practices. One is communion, and it's not just to take communion, but to understand why we're taking communion to keep the, pa- is to, is to keep the passion in our hearts. Uh, baptism is to keep us in a position of recognizing our need for God and the fact that God has done such a great thing for us. So uh, in, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus uh, gives this uh, commandment, not suggestion, Uh, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. One more time, what's that word? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is not the great suggestion. We call it the great commission. We're commissioned to go do this. We're supposed to do this. It's part of, it's not a, it's not like if you feel like it or if you want to or if you you, uh, don't have anything better to do, then, then do this. This is what we're supposed to do. But here's where it comes from. Uh, the term in Judaism would be mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H, mikvah. Anybody that's gone to Israel with me has experienced this. Uh, we show where all over in Jewish custom the mikvah was and how it worked. It's still in practice today in any practicing uh, synagogue. They have it. Uh, we call it the baptismal. They call it the mikvah. Here's what it was. It was a Jewish rite of purification, and it represented, listen to the word, immersion into their faith. Immersion. Remember that word, immersion into their faith. Now, I I just wrote down, when I was studying, I pulled out probably from from the Old Testament, the Old Testament, not the New, the Old Testament. It's probably 35 references to the idea of being immersed in the mikvah. I just pulled out five uh, quick ones that will have some type of an understanding of what I'm trying to teach you with baptism. So uh, here's the first one. Now, so when I say this one right here, um, so let me be clear. Listen, listen to what, what I'm saying. This comes from, um, I don't even know if you'll know this word. Uh, th- this, this comes from the Midrash, M-I-D-R-A-S-H, the Midrash. And that means the Torah commentary. So this doesn't come from the Bible. This comes from an ancient rabbi who commented about the Bible. Do you understand where I'm pulling this from? So if you like, go home, where was that in the Bible? This is not in the Bible. This comes from an ancient rabbi who commented about the Bible, but they would use the Midrash like we would use the concordance in the back of our Bible in order to understand it. So here's what was taught from ancient days about Adam and Eve. The Midrash relates that after being banished from Eden, from the Garden of Eden, remember they were kicked out of it because of their disobedience, and why did God kick them out? He was not mad at them. He was not trying to deprive them. Uh, He says to himself uh, out loud, well not to himself, he says to the Trinity out loud, uh, we need to stop them from reaching forth their hand to the tree of life, eating of it, 
and being stuck in this fallen condition. So God is not angry at them. God is not trying to punish them. God is actually watching out for them. He doesn't want them stuck in a fallen condition for eternity. So they're banished from the garden. The Midrash, the Torah commentary, teaches this, that after being banished from Eden, Adam sat in a river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. If you read the story of the Garden of Eden, there were three rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. Adam sat in one of the rivers for this word. Okay, uh, in, 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 in Judaism today, it's called teshuva, and it means repentance. And so here's what they teach, that as part of Adam's repentance, when he was banished from the Garden, the closest he could get to it was a river that flowed out of the garden, and he would sit in that river trying to cleanse himself from what he had done. That's the commentary on it. And it's the first understanding that we have of the idea that immersion, that it represents the taking away of our sins. So we look at it today as believers. We see baptism as you follow Jesus. That It's, a, it's an outward uh, response to an inward condition or thing that's happened. You follow Jesus. Uh, it, it represents death. You die to yourself. You're resurrected to new life. You've come up out of the grave. It's a, it's a representation to, uh, to the world and to a believer that you're a follower of Christ, right? But where does it come from? The first idea, it comes from all the way back in ancient days that Adam would immerse himself in this river. He would wait in this river trying to, to, to seek God's forgiveness, it was, it was the, the need, the recognition of the need for repentance, that I'm, that I'm not clean. And that's the one thing that happened after the fall that they both realized, man, we, we are in a different condition than we were before uh, this happened. All right, it's Sinai. Sinai is uh, uh, important. This is where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, by the way, like I said about, uh, about the... Um, the, the ordinances of the church, the, the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions for how to live life. Uh, you know, when people talk so ugly about the law, the law is such a burden, a, a hard thing, a, a, a difficult... Dude, the law is what makes life, like how we get along with uh, Don't steal. So that's, that's just too difficult. Right? You, you get what I'm, you know... Okay, so at Sinai, when God gave the Ten Commandments, listen to this. Go back. Now, this is from the Bible. All Israel, on the day when Moses is going to bring the Ten Commandments, all of Israel was commanded to immerse themselves in preparation for coming face-to-face -face with God. So the first thing you were supposed to do become, before coming face-to-face -face with God, they would immerse themselves in the mikvah in order to... It represented being cleansed. It, it's, it's God showing ahead of time that there's something between us that has to happen in order for you to stand face-to-face -face with me. And remember, their response, it was such a frightful thing to be face-to-face -face with God. They tell Moses, hey, you do it for us. We, we can't handle this. Uh, here, here's the third one. Uh, Aaron and his sons, which make up the high priesthood, their introduction into the priesthood is marked by immersion in the mikvah. Before they could serve as priests, they had to be immersed in the mikvah before anything else. And in fact, most of, the, um, most of the work of the priest, they had to go into the mikvah every day before they could serve the people. And it represented being cleansed before they could do it. Um, all priests and Jews. This goes to the time of the temple. This is Jesus' day. All priests and all Jews who wanted to enter the temple, the house of God, 
had to first immerse themselves in the mikvah. Now, for those who have been with, to Israel with me, let me just say this real quick. I don't do this on every trip. And in fact, maybe we've done this three times out of 14 trips. So I've only been there three times myself. Um, most of the time, we don't have the time to get everything done. We're, we're, we're having to eliminate something. So I don't even put it as part of the itinerary. Every once in a while, everything falls into place, and I'll add it um, without people knowing that it's, it's not something we normally do. But on the south side of the Temple Mount are steps that they've excavated that are part of the original temple. It's one of the only, only things left. And you can actually go down to these great big steps, and in the middle of the steps, you can see where the mikvah was for all of the people who were coming to the temple, especially on the three big holidays, right? So, so on Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, all of Israel has to come to Jerusalem. They all have to go to the temple to make sacrifice. And in order to get up to the temple grounds, you go up these steps, and before you can come on the temple grounds, there's a mikvah. Now, it worked this way. There was one for men and one for women. And you walk down into it. There was a, a separating wall. You walk down into it. Uh, it was, you'd, you'd immerse yourself, and then you'd walk back up the other side of the mikvah. And that's the representation. So coming into the temple, every, all priests and all Jews, everybody who wanted to go in the temple, had to go through the mikvah first. So when Jesus, uh, when, when John is baptizing in the Jordan, this is not some brand new thing. John is simply doing what Jews have been doing forever, that there's a ritual cleansing that needs to go on. Remember John's message to everybody, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now upon you. Remember that? And so his way of showing repentance was to baptize people. So at one time he's baptizing and all the Pharisees come down. And they're standing on the bank watching people get baptized but not getting baptized themselves. And John yells at them, you bunch of snakes. Here's the problem with you. You won't come into the kingdom and you won't let other people come into the kingdom. It's like the blind leading the blind. And then turns around with what John was a strange character. Goat skin and locust for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You see him baptizing with a little locust leg stuck in his beard. Okay, here we go. Um, and wild honey. Wild honey, locust, and camel skin. What a character John must have been. All right, on... Uh, on Yom Kippur, which is the, the most holy day in Judaism, all of those things. See, if you're sitting here and you're like, Pastor, why are you teaching us this? Because the Bible, the New Testament says all of these things are a type and a shadow. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these rituals, holidays, and events that have been kept for eons. Jesus is supposed to be, the, we're supposed to see that through Jesus, the, the reason they were doing all of these things for 2,000 years was to point to the need for Jesus. And that Jesus fulfills all of these things. So if you sit here and you're like, I'm uninterested, dude, you are missing a major part of your Christianity and an interesting part of why we do what we do. And I bet you have little meaning to the ordinances of the church. And that's unfortunate for you because you're missing such an incredibly important part that could bring such depth to your experience. But on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the one day every year that God would forgive the sins of the people, the high priest, and all, so there's only one high priest, the high priest would they'd make a sacrifice. He would take the blood of the sacrifice. 
he would go into the Holy of Holies and he'd sprinkle on the mercy seat. It was called the mercy seat, the blood of the innocent animal. And it would cover, but not take away. It would cover the sins of the people. And on that day, God would forgive the sins of Israel. But it didn't represent an ability to take the sins away. It just showed that the innocent could cover for the guilty. Jesus becomes our high priest and the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. He, he walks into the Holy of Holies with his blood and presents it to the Father, the mercy seat. And once and for all, now our sins are taken away, not just covered over. We have access to God 24-7. My point is this. On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one day per year. The Holy of Holies is where God's presence dwelt inside the temple. And only on one day a year could any human go in there and only one human, the high priest. And the high priest would have to make atonement for the sins of Israel and his own atonement for his own sins. But one of the acts he would have to do, he would have to immerse himself in the mikvah by himself to show Israel this has to take place. I have to make atonement for my own sins before he could go into the Holy of Holies because here's what would happen. If he messed up in the Holy of Holies, does anybody know what would happen to the high priest? Yeah, like done. So, part of the commentary on the Torah is that the high priest, they would sew bells into the bottom of his garments and tie a rope around his waist because if he got in there and they heard the bells, everything was okay. But if they're listening and the bells stop, guess what? He might have messed up. How do we know? We can't go in there to get him or we'll die. So they'd drag his butt out of there with the rope if he met. Now, could you imagine just standing still for a minute and all of a sudden they start pulling you back out of there? <laughs> Stop! <clears throat> it was a serious thing. It's something that you and I, you know, here's, here's the thought. We take for granted and so lightly the work of Jesus. When we first come to salvation, it is so important and so holy. And we're so passionate. But as time goes by, we get casual about the work of Jesus. And we take it for granted. Not that it's not important, but it's human nature that the further you get from the event, if you don't make it special, it becomes... Ordinary, normal, average. And something then has to shake you up. Uh, for a marriage, many times it has to come to a crisis to get it back to the point where you realize how important it is. You, you get what I'm saying? In our Christianity, our relationship with God, when we get to that place where we are, hey, can, can I, if you get lukewarm... Something has to happen to shake that thing back up again and heat it back up. Something has to take place. Uh, Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it's just four verses. This is where we get baptism from, but Jesus is only doing what has been going on for 2,000 years prior to his time, 1,500 years. Uh, then Jesus went... From Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And John tried to talk him out of it. 
saying, I'm the one. John recognized his own need and he knew who Jesus was. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? And then Jesus answer him, answers him, uh, this needs to be done for we must carry out all that God requires us to do. This has been prophesied. We need to do what God has said. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved or my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The Father's blessing. Man, how, how good would it be to hear God say, you are my beloved child, and I find such pleasure in you. How many in this room would love to hear that? So just talk. Look, why is it when we're not participating in the ordinances of the church, why are we not experiencing the voice of the Lord saying to us, you're my child, and in you I find such pleasure? I would submit that's what's supposed to be happening when we do these things, and that if they're casual observances and we're not putting into it the thing that makes it passionate, I think that I think we could miss God trying to say, I, I am so pleased with you and I love you so much and I'm, I, I caused this thing to happen so that, so that often we're crossing paths with each other and I can tell you how much I love you and how pleased I am with you. That's why I think these ordinances are given to us. And I think the reason that that happens for Jesus right there is supposed to put in us the desire. God wants to do that when we practice these things. There's supposed to be times where it reveals his passion for us, not just ours for him. Baptism isn't just us saying to him, I'm committed. It's God saying to us, I'm committed to you. Mm. Okay, so three important questions. Now, here, ah, um, I can nerd out on Israel stuff. I'm, it nerds, I can just get into it. I know, and I know not everybody is like, I know some of you are like, dear God, another Israel thing. Some of you go to Israel just to get me to shut up or to find out what I'm, I will never shut up about it. Um, so, the, three important questions. Right? If, if, if what I'm saying is true, and I know I get way into it, but if what I'm saying is true, three important questions need to be asked by you. Here, here's the first one. When it comes to baptism or communion, but baptism right now, is this necessary? I mean, is it really necessary? Do we really need to do this? Is it really that important? Is it a big deal? Why are you making such a... Of all the things you could teach on, Pastor, of all the things you could get into, is this necessary? So this, it comes down to... Man, I could give you... 50 answers for that, but let me give you one real big one. This is 1 Samuel 15, 22. It has to do with Samuel the prophet, Saul the first king of Israel. Samuel replies, speaking to Saul, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And then he answers his own question. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission to God is better than doing all of the stuff that you think is so important. God wants you to obey him. The proof of your love for God is obedience. Let me say that one more time. The proof of your love for God is obedience. He wants you to be obedient. Obedience will never not be part of the equation. Obedience is important. So if Jesus says, take communion and remember me, be baptized and follow, you're showing forth 
my death and my life, you're showing forth the people that you are a follower of me, you identify with. <coughs> I've got some friends that went to see you. They're buffs. And last week was their homecoming and they all went up to the game. And how good did see you play last week? So dude, here's what happens. I'm on my way to church. They're up 28 points. I turn the game off because it's a lock. I come home and I turn the TV on and they've lost the game. And I don't want to identify with them. I'm like, that's not my team. Thank God that's not my team. My team, LSU Tigers. Fifth in the nation. Big test tonight, Alabama. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I may not want to identify with them either. Just a few minutes. But these people that went to see you, no matter what, man, that's their team. They get frustrated, they get aggro, but that's their team. That's, their, that's who they identify with. That's their club. When you're baptized, you're saying, that's my team. You're picking sides. You're not being neutral. You're not standing off going, maybe, or I'm afraid to be identified with it. Here's what you're doing. Your soul is being tattooed. There's no backing up from it at that point. You've identified with it. You're a part of it. Whether the team does good, whether the team goes bad, that's your team. You're a part of the team. Ooh, that's good. Write that down. Baby, that's good. It's a book right there. Is it necessary? Obedience is always necessary. How about this too? Am I too young? Am I too old? So let me just be honest with you about this. Okay, as a Catholic infant, I was, it's, you know, my mom shows me pictures of it still. I'm wearing a beautiful dress. <laughs> How many of you were in that beautiful dress? It was this beautiful white flowing gown looking thing. Got a little cap on and everything. And I was a good little baby. I slept the whole time. I'm not even a year old. I'm an infant. They bring me, the priest holds me, sprinkles a little water on my head. I moved around just a bit. It's probably gas. And then smiled. They take a picture and for posterity forever, 54 years later, there's this beautiful picture that I have no memory of whatsoever. And the claim is that we did that just in case something would have happened to you. Where is that? What is that? I'm not being ugly. I'm not being rude. But where is that? Find that. That is not in the Bible. So can you be too young? Yes. Can you be too old? No. And here's why. Let me point this out. Jesus' experience um, was proof that he made the choice to do it. But we find a situation with a new believer and, um, and Philip. And Philip uh, has this experience with a brand new believer. As they came down the road, this is uh, Acts 8, 36 and 37. It's a, it's a really cool story, but as they came down, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The, 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 the guy just became a believer. He just believed in Christ. Uh, he's a eunuch. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Look at this answer right here. Philip said to him, look at this. If you believe with all of your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To be baptized is a recognition in the person that I believe. 
Someone can't believe for you and pass on salvation to you, and someone can't baptize you without you believing and have it be the actual thing. That's the truth. I don't mean to be offensive. I'm not here picking on the way you were raised or even the decision that you made. We dedicated our children. We dedicated them, believing that it was a spiritual function and foundation. But baptism was at a place where they all were at a time where they said, we believe and we want to be baptized. And I think that that scripture, I think if you read it for what it is, if you believe with all of your heart, yes, you should be baptized. And then the confession, I do believe. That's why when we baptize, it's upon someone's profession of faith. We don't baptize because we're not a Baptist church. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. You caught that early. First one to laugh in the building right there. <clears throat> okay. So am I too young or too old? I think when it comes to a kid, uh, I don't think there's an age, but I think there's an understanding. With all of our kids, we ask that question, why do you want to be baptized? And then, to be honest, whenever we go to Israel, we always take time to go to the Jordan River, and I tell, even if you've been baptized before, I'm going to do it again because it's the Jordan River. <laughs> the Jordan freaking River. How many chances will you get to go to the Jordan River? Get in here. That's why some of you should go to Israel with me. Because you get to be baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, am I too young or too? I don't think you, you the too young issue, I don't think there's an age like, hey, they were in third grade, second grade, fifth grade. It, it's, it's, do they believe? Can they confess Christ as Lord? So let me hit the too old thing. So look at me just real quick and let's talk for a minute. Because here's what happens. It's real easy to relegate this to an act for the young. But if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you should be obedient. You should be baptized. So then the third thing I wrote down there, why is it so embarrassing? Because that's the real problem with an older person getting baptized. If we really look at the objections, it really just comes down to, man, it's a humiliating thing. I should have done it 20 years ago. I should have done it when I was at a place where I looked better than I do right now. I get it. So why is it embarrassing? <laughs> you know, it's actually an intentional thing. I'm going to read this to you, and I want, I want the weight of it to let it hit you. Uh, Jesus, Mark chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days... The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is a, that's one of the hard sayings of Jesus, yes or no. It's kind of that Thomas uh, Jefferson Bible that I talked about last week where he, he pulls out all the black and just keeps the red and then he takes out all the difficult sayings. So he has a Bible made up of just the most positive things. But there's a reason these things are in there. And we tell ourselves, man, I can't believe that God, I can't believe that God would expect me to humble myself. I can't believe that God would mess with my pride. God wouldn't mess with your pride. He would crush your pride. Can I tell you about your pride for just a second? Your pride holds him away from you like this. He resists the proud, 
but gives grace to what? We had a little staff retreat, uh, just an overnighter last weekend for some of the uh, senior leadership. and um, My daughter, Ames, was there, but she was there not as a pastor. She was there as an administrator. It's a tremendous change in her life. And she was taking notes for all the things that were being said. And I just went around the room as a state. What's the state of the church and the state of your heart right now? And I let everybody just kind of speak and just listen. Wasn't looking for right. I was just looking for people to have a chance to speak. And it came to her and she said, 2018 has been about being humiliated and being humbled. And my heart hurt for my girl, man. And I got what she meant. And I wished I could do something to take away the humiliation, but I would not change the humble part. Because when we're humble, we hear. And when we're humble, look at me, you can be taught. You know who's unteachable? Prideful people. The most difficult people to teach are prideful people. They can't learn. They can't hear. They think it's for somebody else. They'll judge everything that's being said. Being humble, is, being humble is a badge of courage, to be honest. The Bible says that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So look at me and let me pastor you. If you've not been baptized, you should be baptized. If you don't remember it, then that's a thing that should trigger you that you need to be able to remember it because you choose it. It doesn't choose you. You choose it. Can you go to heaven without being baptized? My God, I hope so. Because if you can't, then it's based on your work now and not on the work of Jesus. But is it important? If Jesus says to do it and you're a follower of Jesus, that should settle the issue for us. Do you agree? That should settle the issue for us. It's a bow-the-knee thing. He's the Lord of my life, and I'll bow the knee to it. I'll bow the knee to it. That's what it is. I'll bow the knee to His Lordship. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity to talk to your people. And Lord, I always uh, just want to be real careful to say anything, God, that causes someone to stumble because of my personality. Please hide it behind Jesus. Anything that I said, God, that um, is not of you. Anything that's, that's not bowing the knee to you. God, I just right now want to arrest that thing. I want to say that it doesn't belong in this message or in this place. We want everything to submit to the lordship of Jesus and to be able to say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Not in the areas that are uh, like real easy, but even in the difficult areas and the ones where we just simply do it because we want to be obedient. Lord, how much do we miss because we don't understand the things that you have for us? You'd never tell us to do something just because in it contains, the instruction contains a benefit. Folks, can I say that one more time? In the instruction... There's a hidden benefit. There's something inside of the obedience that he has for us. Maybe that's where some of the passion comes from. 
Maybe it's uh, designed to keep us from being lukewarm. Maybe if we do it with the intention that he had for us, it, it puts a hedge of protection around our lives and keeps our heart in that real tender place. I don't know. I just know that when I'm obedient to him, man, it makes me fall deeper in love with him. And when I do my own thing, it seems like I grow away from him. Hmm. Father, we've come this weekend because we want to do your thing and not our thing. So speak to us. Make it clear. Make it plain. Maybe even easy to understand for us. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Our hearts are open and ready to hear. In Jesus' name. Okay. Going to do baptisms next week. Going to act on this word. We only have room for 25 per service, so the first 25 that sign up can do it. We'll do it again at another time. We can't do it every week. Um, we're actually going to make it a part of the service, which is something different. We've done it on life days. We've done it at the end of services. We're actually going to have two baptismals, and we'll just go back and forth while we're worshiping and make it a regular part of our worship. We just think that that's what God wants us to do right now. So we'll do it in all of the services next weekend uh, and at the campus. And um, for those of you who would like to be baptized, here's what you do on our website. Here's how you sign up. Go to our website, www.jfc.org. And then it's, uh, it's sign-ups, right? Isn't that it? Yep. JFC.org? Yep. Sign-ups. God, can't be any easier than that. <laughs> That's easy. Sign-ups. So it's the first 25 per service. If you haven't been baptized and want to be, maybe you need to pray about it. Maybe you need to talk about it. Um, get before God and see. If what I said was true, then you can act on it. Um, maybe as we worship right now, God can, can talk to you. So we'll conclude this with... Uh, with this song of worship, and then you're dismissed.